the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Well, good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you. Lovely to be worshipping with you this morning, whether we're doing it uh, here in person, whether we're doing it online. Uh, Just great to be opening God's word together and seeing what he has to say to us this morning. My name is Paul Cook. I'm one of the leaders here, and we're going to be continuing this morning in our series in the Gospel of John. So if you have that, uh, you might want to open it on your phone or your tablet, or you've actually got an old-fashioned paper Bible, you can open that as well. We'll be reading that together in a moment. But just before we do that, I'd just like to ask you a question. And it's the kind of question that I would like you not to think too hard about. It's just one of those, what's the first thing that comes into your head when type of questions, okay? Um, And I'm not going to come around with a roving mic and ask you what you thought. So even if you can't think of anything, it doesn't matter. But what's the first name that you think of when I say, can you please name me one of Jesus's 12 disciples? Okay, that's it. Right. Now, I am going to take a gamble here. I reckon that quite a lot of you might have thought of the first name I'm going to put up. How many people thought of Simon, Simon, Peter? Yes, quite a few of you, but not as many as I thought. Whoa, not as many as I thought. How many of you thought of Andrew? Oh, a few Andrews. Okay, that's good. Okay. How many of you thought of Philip? One. Has to be the person who wrote the series brief, obviously, who thought about Philip. Um, who, who thought about, well, there's two possible answers here, Nathaniel or Bartholomew, because they're probably the same person. Anybody think about them? Oh, Johnny Half thought of him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, this morning, we're going to think about each one of those four disciples, because they're all in our passage this morning. We're going to think about how we can learn from them, either as we're already walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, Or perhaps we're here this morning and we haven't yet made that decision. And I hope what we think about this morning will help us go a bit further as we walk with Jesus and learn from him. Before we do that, let me just recap where we are in the Gospel of John. Because this morning we're coming to the the very end of chapter 1. So way back, actually it wasn't that long ago, was it? Um, At the start of the series, we thought about that cosmic opening to the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. We had it read last week to the theme of 2001, A Space Odyssey. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, became a human being, and made his dwelling among us. That huge theme that initially Nick and then Simon unpacked for us a little bit. And then Megan... Uh, Well, she pointed us to John the Baptist, uh, uh, Jesus' cousin, and his role in chapter 1, and how John the Baptist was always pointing away from himself towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Always. And then last week, when Johnny helped us think a bit more about John the Baptist, he uh, emphasized these words that John spoke. When he saw Jesus, he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We need to come and see him, don't we? And then at the end of John's passage last week, two 
of John the Baptist's followers, his disciples, went to Jesus and had a conversation with him. And we're going to pick up the story from that point. So if you've got your Bible, we are in John chapter 1. We are going to have all the words on the screen as well. If you haven't got your own Bible, that's fine. But just before we do that, let me, let me just pray as we, uh, as we read together, before we read together. Lord, just thank you so much for this word, whether we can actually physically hold it in our hands this morning or whether we're looking at it on the screen. We thank you that these are words that have been preserved for us down the centuries. We thank you that they're words that were inspired through the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that as we read them now, uh, your Holy Spirit can continue his work of applying them to our hearts and to our minds and to our lives. So we pray that you'll do that as we fix our eyes on Jesus now. Amen. Okay, let me read John chapter 1, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what, Jesus, what, sorry, what John the Baptist had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. Quick aside, uh, Andrew and his brother would have spoken a language called Aramaic with each other. The word Messiah is the word that's the Aramaic word. It means the anointed one. And John, who's writing his gospel for Greek speakers, translates it into a Greek term, Christ, which also means anointed one. So that's why we've got the brackets and the explanation from John. And Andrew brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter. There's the same thing, Aramaic and Greek names. Now, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Let me just show you a quick map. Okay, so this is Israel. Jesus has been uh, down in this area, the southern part of Israel. It's referred to in the Gospel of John as Bethany beyond the Jordan. That's where John's been baptizing. And now he's setting his sights to go up north to Galilee. And we'll read in the next few verses about Nazareth, where, of course, Jesus himself grew up. Um, in chapter 2, we'll read about Cana, which is where Nathaniel, one of the people we'll meet this morning, came from. And we'll read about Bethsaida, where Andrew, P uh, Peter, and Philip all come from. So that's the bit of the, the land of Israel that we're talking about now. So he's got to Galilee now, and finding Philip... Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. He's saying the, the person who we've been reading about in what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the Jewish scriptures, we found him. You know those first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses? They talk about a coming Messiah, and we found him. And the second half of the Old Testament is full of all those prophecies that talk about a coming Messiah. We found him. And guess who he is? He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel, who came from Cana, nearby village, 
asked. Well, come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And that's it. That's how chapter one ends. How many of you got a sibling? Few people got a sibling? Yeah, okay. Even if you haven't got a sibling personally, you will know what sibling rivalry is, is about, won't you? You'll see that in your family and your friends. It's a real thing. I do feel sorry for Andrew, who we're going to think about first this morning, because in the Bible, he is nearly always referred to as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And if you've got a sibling, it's so infuriating, isn't it, when you're constantly being described in terms of your sibling. That's, that's not ideal. I kind of imagine Andrew going to an early Christian gathering and going around saying, oh, really nice to meet you. I'm Andrew. And they go, oh, Simon Peter's brother. Yes, Simon Peter's brother. But um, Andrew must have been a very humble man because he didn't seem to mind his brother taking the limelight. But this morning, in this morning's passage, we really see how important Andrew is in the story of the early Christian church. What do we read about Andrew? Well, he's one of those two, isn't he, who went to Jesus. They had been followers of John the Baptist. They go to Jesus. We don't know who the other one with him was. Maybe, maybe it was the author of the Gospel of John. That's a possibility. But in any case, they go to him. And they speak with Jesus, and then Andrew obviously is convinced about Jesus being the Messiah. The first thing he did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now, in the middle of the 20th century, uh, we had an Archbishop of Canterbury called William Temple, and he said this about that act. He said, it's perhaps as great a service to the church as any man ever did. He brought his brother to Jesus. But of course, his brother would go on, Simon Peter would go on to be one of the pillars of the early Christian church. So let's just leave Andrew for one second. We're going to come back to him because this is Andrew's moment this morning. We're going to come back to him. But let's think about Simon Peter just for a second. You see, what was so special about Simon Peter? Well, Jesus already gives us a glimpse of it, doesn't he? He says, he looks at him and says, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. And I love the way that Jesus looks at people and sees what their potential is going to be. I love the fact that when Jesus looks at me, he doesn't just see my past. Of course, he does see my past. He doesn't just see my present. Of course, he does see my present. But he sees my future. He sees the future that by his grace, I can have as one of his followers, as a member of his family, 
And when Jesus sees Simon, son of John, he says, you will be called Cephas. I wonder what Jesus sees in each one of us this morning for our potential. Wouldn't it be great if we looked at each other with the potential that we have rather than the faults that we all oh so obviously carry around with us? Jesus does that. He looks at our potential. Well, Cephas. Why does he say Cephas? Well, it means the same thing which Peter means. It means rock. You're going to be called rock, says Jesus. And already he's thinking about what he's going to say to Peter in the Gospel of Matthew, a bit further down the line, when he says in verse, uh, chapter 16 and verse 18 of Matthew, after Peter has declared, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, He says to him, I tell you, you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Wow, that's quite a special thing to be be told, isn't it? That you're going to be the one whose declaration of faith is the rock on which I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades are not going to overcome it. Peter had a massively important role in the future of the church. But would any of it ever happened if Andrew hadn't brought his brother to Jesus? I don't know. I don't know. I've got a lovely story uh, to share with you um, that I think illustrates this Andrew ministry really nicely. It's from Derek. Um, If you're new to the church, you may not know who Derek is, but Derek was on staff here for 30 years. And I think many people will testify to the fact that he was a brilliant Bible teacher and Bible preacher. And now he's gone up to Cape and Ray Hall in Lancashire to bless the next generation of uh, Christian leaders and Christian students. Um, And by the way, he sends his greetings to us as a a church fellowship. Um, And part of what he does is, because he's such a great Bible teacher, he often gets invited to kind of national level conferences to talk. And this promotional video was one of those national level um, conferences last year. Um, And by the way, Derek told this story not in the way I'm going to tell it, because I'm going to tell it to big him up. He didn't tell it for those reasons at all. He told it for for other reasons. But it's a true story. Um, When he was at one of these big national conventions, after he'd given his talk, he came down off the platform and uh, this elderly lady came up to him and she said to him, are you the Derek Burnside who used to live in this particular suburb of Manchester? And Derek said, yeah, yeah, I am. How do you know that? I don't think Derek really has a Mancunian accent. So, you know, how do you know that? And she said, well, when you were four years old, I came and I knocked on the door of your parents' house and I said, Mr. and Mrs. Burnside, my name is Elaine Green. I am a local Christian and with others, we're setting up a Christian children's group called Mini Crusaders and we wondered if your children would like to come along to it. And Mrs. Burnside obviously thought it'd be a very good idea to get rid of Derek and his sister for a little while. (laughs) So um, pack them off, and there he is. 
Yes, R. I think it's worth an R. There he is. Four-year-old Derek, maybe just five at this point, uh, in mini crusaders up in Manchester. He's gone on, as I've said, to, in this building to preach to thousands of people during his time here. He must have influenced as many lives there and then up in Cape and Ray Hall and on his national platforms. He's had a huge reach for the Lord Jesus Christ. Would any of it have happened if Elaine Green hadn't knocked on his parents' door 50 years ago and said, would your little boy like to come and see Jesus? I don't know, but maybe not. Maybe not. So this morning, if you are an Andrew, says Josh Moody in his book on the first 12 chapters of John, let this section of the passage encourage you that the fruit of your personal ministry is profound, pervasive, and influential. Keep on being an Andrew. We need Peters in the church. We need Derricks in the church in those kind of roles. But you know what? We need even more Andrews in the church who are going to bring their friends, their family, their colleagues, their neighbours to see who Jesus is. Okay, that's two of our disciples then. We've thought about Andrew. We've thought about his brother, Simon Peter. Here's our third uh, disciple this morning. Here's Philip. Now, in many ways, Philip should be the poster boy for our series, shouldn't he? Because he's the one who actually says to his friend Nathaniel, come and see. That's our series title, come and see. And every time we think about come and see, we should think about Philip because he's the one who actually does it. Jesus says those words first, slightly earlier in the gospel. But now Philip is the one who's imitating his Lord and say, come and see. But there's another bit of Philip's story I want to focus on because that bit is very similar to what Andrew does. So I want to just pick out something um, slightly different. And it's this. Um, And you would almost not notice it because it's just one little tiny word. But did you notice in verse 43 that it is Jesus who finds Philip? See, in this series, we're often going to be inviting people to come and see and to explore, and to ask questions. And it's our religious quest, our quest for meaning and significance that we have as human beings that we're going to be tapping into. And that's absolutely right and true and proper and good. But we need to remember that behind that, we have a Jesus, a Messiah, a Lord, a Savior, who is always already looking for us who wants to find us far more than we will ever want to find him. And I think Philip gives us a little glimpse of that. Jesus tells this wonderful story. In fact, he tells a series of wonderful stories in Luke chapter 15 about things that are lost and then get found. And the first of those stories is about a lost sheep. He says, there's a man who's got a hundred sheep and one of them goes missing. And wanders off. What does the man do? He leaves the 99 out in the field. And he goes looking for the one that's lost. And when he finds it, he picks it up and he puts it on his shoulders. And he takes it back to the other 99. 
And then he gathers all of his family and friends together to have a great big party because he's so happy that the one who was lost has been found. Jesus is the great seeker and finder. And in many ways, Jesus leaving 99 to find just one seems utterly crazy, utterly bonkers, doesn't it? Why would you do that? Well, it seems like that until you are that one. And this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus as I am a follower of Jesus, then that is our experience. Jesus has come to find each and every one of us that we can be with him. And this morning, if you're still in the process of thinking about Jesus, know that alongside your questions and your seeking, Jesus is already seeking and has always been seeking to reconnect his love with you, that you might know what it is to be a part of his family. Jesus is the great finder. And then we've got our fourth uh, disciple this morning. We've got Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel doesn't get off to a great start, does he? Can Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Bit rude. Jesus could have taken umbrage. Well, Cain is not so great, actually. Uh, but he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. I think what this uh, question tells us, amongst other things, um, is that actually we can ask any questions we like of Jesus. He's not going to get offended. You know, it might seem a bit rude to you. It might seem a bit silly. doesn't matter. Ask it. Jesus can take any question that we throw at him. If you've got questions, we would love to invite you to come to one of our Alpha courses. We run them every term, uh, and we'll be doing the next one uh, in the autumn. But if you can't wait, I'm sure we could do something uh, before then in somebody's house or something like that. But any questions, we would love to help you try and explore those questions in our Alpha courses. But wow, doesn't Nathaniel have a change of heart? Isn't it amazing? Just a few verses later, Nathaniel declared, oh, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. This has got to be the light bulb moment that outshines all light bulb moments in that transition that he has in his understanding. Our hope and our prayer is that anybody this morning who is here asking questions about the Lord Jesus Christ will have that moment of coming to re understand the reality of the Lord Jesus and who he is. Now, how that happens, I haven't got, got quite time to go into this morning, but I think it's got something to do with the Old Testament character of Jacob. Jacob, who was both a deceiver and a dreamer. And we have references in this passage to deceit, to Israel, which is also the name that Jacob was given. Um, he became Israel. And we've got references to Jacob's dream. But I'm not going to say too much about that now. I'd like you, if you're in a Belmont home group, perhaps, to think about that this coming week. Because it's interesting to see how Nathaniel changes his mind and what happens and why. And maybe that's something you can talk about in your home group later on. But I do want to just mention this and focus on this to finish with. Jesus um, says to his disciples in the very last verse of John chapter 1, 
He says, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And the bit that I've put in gold there has got inverted commas around it. Why? Because it's a quotation. It's actually a quotation from the story of Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. Jacob had been very deceitful. If you read Genesis' uh, story, you'll see this for yourself. And he runs away from his brother, who is um, not well pleased with him at all. And on his flight, he beds down for the night with a stone for a pillow, it says. Can't have been comfortable at all for him. And he has this dream in which he sees this stairway resting on the earth with the top reaching up to heaven. And it says, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. That's what Jesus is obviously referencing, isn't he? At the end of John chapter one. But there's a twist. And the twist is that Jesus says, you will see heaven open and you'll see the angels ascending and descending on a stairway? No, on the son of man. And when Jesus says that, he's talking about himself. Jesus is saying very clearly here at the end of the chapter one, I am the bridge between heaven and earth. I am the point at which heaven and earth intersect. And I think that brings us back to the very beginning of chapter one, doesn't it? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became a human being and made his dwelling among us. Heaven and earth come together in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, lots of rich things for us here, I think, in uh, the last few verses of John chapter 1. I wonder which one of the disciples that we thought about this morning, you felt spoke to you most. I wonder if it was Simon Peter in who Jesus saw great potential. This morning, even if you're feeling not in a great place, be encouraged that Jesus sees your potential in him. Maybe it was Andrew with that background ministry, always in the shade of his brother, the shadow of his brother, but he's the one who kickstarts that through that simple act of bringing his brother to Jesus. Maybe it's Philip, the one who says, come and see, but the one who also reminds us that Jesus is always already seeking us because he loves us so much. Or maybe it's Nathaniel, the one who has the crazy question to start with, but then who ends up confessing Jesus as the son of God, as the king of Israel. Do you know what? I'm so excited that we've come to the end of chapter one and that we've still got 20 chapters to go. Can you believe that? And I just love the way that in verse 50, Jesus says, you are going to see greater things. I wonder what the Lord has in store for us as we read the next 20 chapters together, personally and collectively. It's going to be so exciting, isn't it? 
Let's be open to all that he has to say to us. Amen.